Welcome all of you and we continue reading from this book, Tafsir al-Nasik, bi Ahkami al-Manasik, bi Fadilat al-Shaykh al-Allama Abdul Muhsin al-Badr Hafidahullahu Ta'ala. قال الشيخ دفع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من مزدلفة حين أسفر جدا قبل طلوع الشمس. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he left مزدلفة after he performed fajr prayer and after he stood up making dua long dua until he became very light and before sunrise. Before sunrise the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم left مزدلفة. And Al-Fadl ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, he's the one who collected seven pebbles for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. These are the same seven, seven pebbles that the Prophet did Jamrat al-Aqaba in the morning of the day of the Eid. The Shaykh says, but keep in mind that the whole day is a time to throw your pebbles at Jamrat al-Aqaba. But it's better to do it in the morning after sunrise. But keep in mind, as we mentioned, Hadith ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, أن الصحابة سألوا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ذلك اليوم عن أمور فقال لا حرش. The companions who did certain things in certain way that day, whenever they asked the Prophet ﷺ, we did this and we did this before the other one, the Prophet ﷺ says, do it, it's no problem. فسأله رجل قال رميت بعدما أمسيت He says likewise to a man who came to the Prophet ﷺ he says that he did not did Jamrat al-Aqaba until in the evening the Prophet ﷺ said it's okay and he mentioned that Ibn al-Mundir in his book Al-Ijma' he mentioned that the ulama they have a consensus that whoever throw the pebbles of Jamrat al-Aqaba on the day of the Eid after Fajr and before sunrise, it's still accepted from that person. If someone cannot do Jamrat al-Aqaba before sunset, before Maghrib, he can do it after that, insha'Allah ta'ala. And for those that the Prophet ﷺ given permission to leave Muzdalifa before Fajr, they do Jamrat al-Aqaba whenever they get there. Even if they get to Jamrat al-Aqaba before Fajr, they can throw the Jamrat al-Aqaba before Fajr. Because of the hadith that is in Sayyid al-Bukhari, in Sayyid muslim and Abdullahi Mawla Asma' and Asma' wa fihi fartahalna famadayna hatta ramat al-Jamrat thumma rajahat fasallat al-Subha fi manziliha. That Asma' radiallahu anha, when she left among those people who left Muzdalifah at night, said keep walking until we reach Jamrat al-Aqaba and she threw the pebbles the seven pebbles and she came back 
to where she's staying in Mina, and that's when she prayed Fajr. And that's why the Shaykh mentioned a hadith of Sahih Muslim that Aisha radiallahu anha said, وَدِدْتُ أَنِّي كُنْتُ اسْتَأْذَنْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ كَمَا اسْتَأْذَنَتْهُ سَوْدَةً فَأُصَلِّ الصُّبْحَ بِمِنَا فَأَرْمِ الْجَمْرَ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ النَّاسِ That's why Aisha radiallahu anha, she said after that, I wish if I have asked the Prophet ﷺ to give me permission that night to leave early too, as he gave permission to Sauda, and this way I will be, I'll pray Fajr in Mina, and I will throw the Jamarat before the crowd come. Number five from the things that the, uh, the, the five point, the fifth point, the Sheikh says that, the slaughter of the hadi, whether it is the camels or cows and goats and, and sheep. It is to be performed on the day of the Eid and the three nights that follows it. The night of the 11th, the night of the 12th and the night of the 13th. And this includes all hadith, that which is obligatory, tamattu'a, qiran, an oath, and the like, or even optional. Because you can do that, you can do optional hadith too. A person slaughter one animal, but he can, he can slaughter another one, optional. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he slaughters a hundred, hundred. So for those who have money, and they want to, Volunteer, voluntarily they want to slaughter more. One is enough for each person who made them a turn. But you want to do another one, it's up to you. Uh, 110, it's all good, alhamdulillah. As we mentioned before, that uh, the hadi is the, uh, there is, there is uh, some, some, some age that we have to fulfill, okay, uh, for the camels, it has to be at least five years, five years. For the cow, has to be at least two years. For the goat, has to be at least one year old. And for the sheep, has to be at least six months old. And the slaughter has to be in Mina and Mecca, Mina and Mecca. So if a person is uh, performing the Hajj as Qarin uh, or Mutamatta, because these both, Qarin and the Mutamatta, they have to slaughter the Hadi. If they cannot afford to buy the Hadi, or they may have the money with them and they lost it, okay? What these people do, they fast three days in Hajj and seven days when they go back home. That stand together, as Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 196. Whoever performed tamattu' in Hajj, then they should sacrifice a hadi. Whoever does not find or cannot afford, 
then that person should fast three days in Hajj while still in Hajj and seven when they go back that makes ten days so now it is permissible the Sheikh says to fast these three days at Hajj in a row one after the other or you can fast them separate you can fast one day and break one day and fast another day the only way that you have to fast all of them if you didn't start low fasting until the 11th of the hijjah now it become obligatory upon that person to fast them in a row because the 11 12 and 13 but if a person start fasting in the hijjah he may fast in a, one in the third of the hijjah the other one on the sixth and one on the twelfth of the hijjah okay the seven the same thing when a person go back home have the choice they want to fast all seven in a row or they want to fast one once a week or once every other day or, or, or the like it's okay so the ayam al-tashriq which is the third the 11th the 12th and the 13th the the muslims they do not fast the hujjaj they do not fast they eat but it is given permission for those persons in this condition that they they have to fast those three days and they didn't do it before the eighth day then these people they allowed to fast the 11th 12th and 13th because they cannot fast the Eid because it's not permissible to fast the Eid but those who have the Hadi they do not fast the 11, 12 and 13 because it's not the Sunnah of the Prophet it is uh, recommended that the person who slaughtered the Hadi to eat from it and give in charity because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said eat from that slaughter that you slaughter in the in the in the in the hajj and uh, feed the poor this is the ayah that Sheikh Muhammad used as a proof that you do not send the, the the value of the hadith to another country that in need some people they says why slaughter this hadith and so many hajjaj everybody slaughtering how many poor people in Mecca we're just gonna give send this to Iraq we send it to Syria, we send it to Afghanistan, we send it to Yemen, we send it to Africa for the poor. The Sheikh says, so no, Allah says, Kulu, you eat from it and you feed the poor. Well, alhamdulillah, uh, those who, as we mentioned, the ulama, they mentioned that you can have Markaz al-Rajhi to do it on you, on your behalf. They take care, alhamdulillah, of the poor in the area in Mecca first and in the area and then Jazakumullah Khairan they transport the meat Alhamdulillah in the best shape because they have refrigeration they have uh, freezers they have transportation all type of transportation cars, buses, trucks, planes uh, boats this is a big a big institution okay so and they send the flow, whatever left, and a lot of meat, they send it, alhamdulillah, to the countries when it is needed. Now, if someone say, if I already gave them the money and do it on my behalf, how am I going to eat? How can I get a piece of... It's easy. When you pay, they give you a receipt. That receipt, 
if you go on the on the eleventh or the twelfth or the thirteenth to the slaughterhouse, which is by Mina, you show them that receipt. They give you whatever. If that receipt is only for one animal, if you want the whole animal, they give it to you because it's yours. If that receipt have five animals, because sometimes you go to the people and says, "I want a receipt for five. And they write it there. This is we receive the equivalent money for five, the value of five. If you want all five of them, they give it to you because it's yours. But if you want only a piece, you want only a shoulder, you want only a part of it, they will give it to you. So it's up to you. If you want to do that and you want to get something so that you can eat from it, you, you cook it and you have the means to do that, it's not a wajib, it's a sunnah. But if you don't have no means to do that and it's too much on you, because that's what the Prophet ﷺ did. When the Prophet ﷺ, he slaughtered 63 of the hadith out of 100. And he let Ali finish the rest. And he asked Ali to take from every animal a part. And they all put in one big pot and it was cooked. And the Prophet ate from it. He didn't eat peace from everything. He ate some of it. And he drank from the juice, from the maraq. The Shaykh says it's not an obligation to eat from that animal of yours. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he ate some from a hamburger. He didn't eat a piece from every one of those. No. The Prophet ﷺ, he ate only enough. But he didn't eat from others. So that's why he said it's not obligatory to eat from your hadith. And also, because the, the Prophet ﷺ, as it is narrated by Aisha anha, she said that the Prophet ﷺ used to send the Hadi from Medina and he's in Medina the Prophet ﷺ he was very generous and he used to send the flocks of animals a group of animals to be slaughtered in Mecca and to be given to the poor but the Prophet ﷺ didn't eat from them so that's another proof also that shows that it's not obligatory to eat from your Hadi Sixth point is pertaining to the shaving of the head or the three minutes on, on the eighth day. And this is what was mentioned, alhamdulillah, already before, especially at the end of the Umrah. The seventh point that tawaf al ifada on the eighth day. Tawaf al-Ifada, as we learned before, is a pillar from the pillars, the four pillars of Hajj. No one Hajj, no one's Hajj be sound without Tawaf al-Ifada. And also, you do it; it's preferable. The Sheikh says to perform Tawaf al-Ifada on the day of the Eid. However, it's also is permissible to do with those who cannot go and do it on that day. They can do it on the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th. And even after that, for those who are staying there, they don't have to come back immediately. They can delay if they have a reason. They have especially people who are sick, elderly, it's crowded. People can delay it, the Sheikh, he says. Uh, uh, delay 
de tawaf inşaallah Teala. Keep in mind that the mutamatte, any person who performs hajj by tamatte has to perform two tawafs and two sa'is. Have to. As opposed to the qarin and the mufrid, the qarin and the mufrid, yes, they have to make two tawafs. The first one that they just came in, and they want this one tawaf al-ifada on the day of the Eid, but then they do only one sa'i. If they did that sa'i the first time when they came in, they don't do it on the Eid day. But if they didn't do it when they came, they have to do it on the eighth day. Now, then the Sheikh mentioned a lot of tafasil and this, mashallah, as we said, we're going to summarize because we're running out of time. This is, we have only tonight and tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala. Al-Mabitu bimina layali ayyami tashriq. Another point like a title or, or something like that. Subtitle, Al-Mabitu Bimina Layali Ayyam Tashriq. The Hijaj now, they still spend the nights, certain nights in Mina, in the nights called Ayyam Tashriq. The 11th night and the 12th and the 13th. Okay? And there is a tafsil, some details as related to the 13th night, as we're going to mention. So the pilgrims, they spend and they still in Mina on the Eid day. What they do for those people who do the tawaf, they go back to Mina. That's what the Prophet ﷺ did when he finished his tawaf. He went back to Mina to spend that night in Mina, the 11th and then the 12th. And then if someone wants to leave after the 12th night in the 12th day, they can leave after throwing Jamrat al-Aqaba, Dhuhr time. They have to wait in Dhuhr, not in the morning. Okay, throwing the Jamarat in this 11, 12, and 13th has to be, starts, the time starts at Dhuhr time, not before Dhuhr. Not before Dhuhr. But if someone wishes to stay until the 13th day, mashallah, that's better for, for that person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 203, وَذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ فِي أَيَّامٍ مَعْدُودَاتٍ يَقُولُ الْعُلَمَاءِ هِيَ أَيَّامَ التَّشْرِيقِ فَمَنْ تَعَجَّلَ فِي يَوْمَيْنِ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ وَمَنْ تَأَخَّرَ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ لِمَنْ اتَّقَعَ And remember Allah in well-known days, so whoever wished to leave Mina after two days, there is no sin upon that person. And whoever wished to stay until the 13th day, there is no sin upon that person, neither for those who are taqwa, imani taqa. So the two days that make it permissible for a person to leave Mina is the 11th and the 12th. Not some people, they do it the other way. They say, okay, two days, the 8th day is one and the 11th is one and they leave after the 11th. La, the Eid is not included in these three. The 11th and the 12th of the Hijjah. Because Ayyam Nahr al-Hadi Arba'ah. Because you have four days when you can slaughter the Hadi. Al-Awwal Yawm al-Nahr, the first day, Yawm al-Nahr. They call it Yawm al-Nahr. 
This is the day of the Eid, the tenth of the Hijjah. والثاني هو يوم الحادي عشر وهو يوم القر لماذا القر لأن الحجاج جميعا مستقرون في منى The second day is the eleventh day The علماء they call it يوم القر Why? Because all the حجاج have to be in منى Except those that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam give them They are exempt by permission from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi the shepherds and other than that other than that those who doesn't have a valid reason it's obligatory upon them to be to spend that day in in Mina the 11th it is the 12th day and it is called Yawmul Nafr why? Those who wants to leave early, they leave. And then the 13th uh, of the Hijjah, This is the day when everybody now leave Mina. Okay, because there is no Jamarat after this or nothing. Okay. Then the Sheikh mentioned one of the things that uh, in the second point, because you're supposed to spend the night in Mina. How we understand that, he says, the Sheikh, he says, uh, by spending most of the night, most of it. Of course, if a person has nothing to do, the best is that to stay the whole night in there. Okay, you stay. But, he says that, you got to spend the most of the night. Whether you be there the first half of the night and a portion of the second half of it, that's the most of the night, right? Or, you got to spend a part of the first half of the night and the, the entire second half of the night. This is how you are considered from someone who spent the most night of the night in, in Mina. And this doesn't matter that you have to sleep to spend that time sleeping. You can be sleeping or walking or... Or, or, or not sleeping, it's okay. And that person has to be in Mina, as the Sheikh mentioned. said, likewise, for this reason, the Sheikh said, if somebody wants to make tawaf al-ifada, let's say somebody couldn't make tawaf al-ifada on the day of Eid, and that person, he was crowded. Maybe they were sick. Maybe they got tired. Maybe they couldn't walk. They said, look, they did Jamrat al-Aqaba and they went to Mina to their tent because they sick, they tired, they beat up. Some people get sick. They have allergies. People get cold. Okay? So this person says, look, I'm just going to get me some rest. They went to the tent, took some honey and some black seed or whatever, some medicine. They said, we're going to lay down here. Inshallah, after Maghrib, I will go and make tawaf al-ifada. Well, remember, well, listen to this. The Sheikh says, for these people, it's better for them not to go at Maghrib time. Why? Because if they go by Maghrib, they're not going to come back. They're not going to come back huh? so that they be from those people who spend the most of the night. They're going to come late. And that's true because there is no transportation. It's like you're a walk for an hour and a half 
and if that person do tawaf, take them another two, three hours to finish tawaf and say it's crowded, that's five hours right there. And you take them another two hours or so to come back, that's almost the whole night. So he said, this shaykh, these people, what they do, they have to spend that time in Mina and then leave to make tawaf. The third point that to spend, to stay for the 13th day is better than leaving on the 12th from Mina. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't leave on the 12th. Even though you see people now, a lot of people live on the 12th. Yes, certain people, they have a reason because they have a flight in that night. They have a flight in the morning. And they have to go and get themselves ready because the bus is going to come at Maghrib. They cannot spend the night and miss their flight. Some other people, they just leave. They just want to go leave, go to the hotel or Aziziyah. I don't know why. If they don't have a reason to... Keep in mind, it's permissible, but... Khairul Hadi Hadi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The best guidance is the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he spent the 13th night in Mina and until Zuhar, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he threw the Jamarat, all of them, uh, in, in the 13th day of, of the, of the Hijjah. To spend two nights in Mina, for those who want to leave after two nights or three days, three nights for those who stay and complete the three nights is from the obligatory elements of Hajj min wajibat al-Hajj number five if a person still there in the twelfth day of the Hijjah in Mina and the sun sunset while that person is still there that person should stay until the thirteenth you see? Because if a person wants to leave on the twelfth day, they have to leave before Ghurub al-Shams, before sunset. But if a person, the Shaykh he said, if a person, uh, they want to leave, they don't want to stay that night until the 13th day, but the sunset come and he's still in Mina, that person now become obligatory upon them to spend that night in Mina, except, except, for someone who's already leaving, he has his law, he's already leaving, but it's taking him some time because of the crowd or, or maybe the, the, the bus broke down or whatever the case, but they are leaving those people, this rule does not apply on them. Well, yes. Is it acceptable for someone to, I mean, to, for another person to make it a work for another person? No, 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 no. Nobody can make tawaf for somebody else. The, the people who are sick, they can be carried. They carry them in, in a something, you know, they push them in a car, in a wheelchair, and they push them, alhamdulillah, okay? Or somebody carry them on his shoulder or carry them in any way. Alhamdulillah, it is no, nobody can perform tawaf on behalf of somebody else. Likewise, nobody can perform arafat on somebody else. There is something else like Jamarat. Yes, if somebody really sick or cannot make it to Jamarat, those ones, yes, somebody else can do it. As for Tawaf, the ulama says, if somebody is very sick and cannot do it at that night, wait until the next day. 
Still sick, wait on the third day. Still sick, wait until the fourth day, the fifth day. Now they still sick, but they live in the next day. They hire somebody. They give them a hundred real or hundred fifty or two hundred real, between fifty dollars to seventy dollars, hundred dollars maximum, and that person will push them around the Kaaba until they finish tawaf. Take them to pray in the chair and take them to say, and they push them. Alhamdulillah. And it's okay, no problem with that. Remember, the Prophet he performed tawaf riding on his camel. Even if a person is not sick and wants to do that, it's okay, no problem. Tayyib. <coughs> That now the Sheikh is going to mention some points about the Jamarats. That remember on the day, on the Eid day, there is only Jamarat al-Aqaba, the biggest one, al-Jamar al-Kubra. You need only seven pebbles on the tent of the Hijjah. So don't just make it difficult yourself carrying two kilos of pebbles. Seven small pebbles. And these pebbles also, they... They, 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 there is not a specific place the Sheikh says when you collect them. You can collect them any place you want. Muzdalifa. Some people they have this idea they have to be in Muzdalifa. No. The Prophet ﷺ, he didn't collect them from Muzdalifa. That's the proof right there. Also, certain people they uh, how many how many uh, pebbles total you need? Forty nine. For those who want to leave on the 12th day and 70 for those who want to complete the 13th day. That's how it is. Okay? That's all you need. The Sheikh says, even it's permissible to buy it if somebody is selling it. It's okay, no problem. But nobody is selling it, alhamdulillah. And it's permissible to collect all of the pebbles for the whole hajj at one time, or you can collect them as you go, day by day. It's okay, alhamdulillah. And it is not from the sunnah for, for the people to, uh, to wash the pebbles. Some people, they wash them with zamzam water. And they think that their pebbles are better than other pebbles. You see? Some people, they wash them. Why? Because they says we don't know. Maybe some dog pee on them. And they have najasa. That's how the people, they be thinking. But all of these things is not from the sunnah of the Prophet The Prophet did not wash any pebble. So we don't. We collect the pebbles and we throw them. People are very creative, man, when it comes to this stuff. Instead to just follow the sunnah. You don't have to be creative in the deen of Allah. Ya subhanallah. Now how big is these pebbles? They have to be in accordance to the sunnah of the Prophet They are a little bit bigger than a chickpeas. You know chickpeas? You know the... the, the huh? You know chickpeas? They don't know chickpeas. 
Okay. What is the other name for it? Cabanzo beans? Huh? Cabanzo beans. You know that? Okay, they don't know that. Alright. It's like you see the tip of my finger? A little bit smaller than this. No big than this. You see the tip? Look at your tips of your fingers. Should not be bigger than that. Maybe a little bit smaller than the tip of your finger. No hollow in a din. And with that you find people they have a rock like this. Half kilo rock. Big ones. Like medjool dates. You know medjool dates? You see the dates we break the fastest? Big ones. People have them like that. <laughs> people they throw pieces of wood. People throw can of sodas. A glass. Uh, piece of iron, metal, uh, shoes, sandals, name it. And this is not from the Sunnah. The Sunnah is that only the the the, 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 the pebbles. Now, the pebbles. And while you throw in them, you have to make sure that they fall into that hole. There is a hole in there in the Jamarat. Make sure they fall in there. There is a wall in there only to separate between the other people because the other side is other people are throwing. So now people don't hit each other. They put a wall over there. Not for the people to aim at the wall. Some people, they aim at the wall and hit the wall. No, you don't aim at the wall. You just throw it between. It has to fall between the wall and the the wall that the, the big wall that is inside and then the the surrounding circle half circle that that's where you have to fall once he goes there that's all you have to do it's not your business when he goes some people they throw it and look that's it right there six million people that's he still know that's his ah, people just throw and leave ma'am and you make takbir with each one Allahu Akbar and you have to do it one at a time. You don't just take seven, all of them say, Allahu Akbar. That counts only one. You still have to go get more, six more. If somebody lost his or whatever, didn't have enough, then inshallah ta'ala they can pick others. Even around the, around the Jamarat. Because people, they bring a lot. And you will see this, especially on the 12th and the 13th. You're going you're gonna to be walking on pebbles actually. By the Jamarat, you be walking literally on pebbles because people, they load themselves with the lot. And on that day, they just throw it. At least instead to go put it in a trash or put it in one corner, they just, people have no manners and akhlaq. They just throw it all over. Now this big place is, is, is filled with, with pebbles. Allah almost time. Likewise, that the time from Jamrat al-Aqaba starts for those who live early whenever they get there. And it ends at Fajr the next day. And for those who stayed until they left after Fajr and before sunrise, whenever they get there, because they're going to get there right after sunrise, 
They, that's where the time they start doing Jamarat al-Aqaba. As for the Jamarat on the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th, they have to be, for the 11th and the 12th, have, and the 13th, they start at Dhuhr. Not before Dhuhr. You see people in the morning after Fajr, they still doing it. No, they have to wait until Dhuhr. This is what the Prophet ﷺ did. And it goes until Fajr. It's except for the 13th day, that yes, it starts at Dhuhr, but it ends at Maghrib. It ends at Maghrib. So this day, the 13th day, is not permissible for someone to do Jamarat after Maghrib. So the Sheikh says, so therefore, if someone on this 13th day, the 13th day they spend it over there, but they didn't do the Jamarat until after Maghrib, these people, they have to expiate for that. And they slaughter an animal to be given to the poor, the people of Mecca. The Sheikh said it's permissible to throw the Jamarat from all directions, from all directions. And also, keep in mind that you make dua after the first and the second Jamrah. There is no dua after Jamrah al-Aqaba, whether on the Eid day or whether on the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th. However, on the 11th and the 12th and the 13th days, when you do the first Jamrah, you, 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 as you go into the second, halfway or so, you face the Qibla and make a long dua. Then you go to the middle Jamrah, which is the second one your way, you do the seven pebbles, then, as you go into the last one, Jamrat al-Aqaba, you face the Qibla again, and you make a long dua, and there is no dua after Jamrat al-Aqaba. However, it is permissible, and it is a sunnah, that Jamrat al-Aqaba, Jamrat al-Aqaba, you will be facing it in a way that Mina is in your right, and the Mecca direction is on your left. That's, that's recommended. But if you cannot do it, it's okay, inshallah. Now, then the Sheikh mentioned to us this Rami, this Jamrat al-Aqaba. What is the origin of it? What is the origin of it? Aslu al-Rami anna shaytan arad al-Ibrahim al-Khayyar alayhi salatu wasalam fi mawadi al-Jamarat. The origin of Rami is that the shaitan appears to Ibrahim السلام, in those places where the Jamarat are right now. So Ibrahim السلام, he casted him the shaitan with three with seven pebbles. And this hadith is hadith of Ibn Abbas until the shaitan disappeared on the earth. Then he came to him once. Then the shaitan appears the second time in the place where the second jamra is now. And Ibrahim السلام, casted him with seven pebbles. Disappear. Then the shaitan appears the third time. And then Ibrahim السلام, cast him with seven other pebbles. Qal ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, al-shaytana tarjumun wa millata abikum tattabi'un. 
you're casting the shaitan, but you're following the millah of your father Ibrahim alayhi salam. So this hadith shows the origin of what, what, what is the story behind the, the Jamarat. The same way we know the story behind Sa'i. What is the story behind going making tawaf between Safa and Marwa? It's Hajar, Ummu Ismail Um Ismail alayhi salam. He said, keep in mind that this is what happened, but still we, it is not permissible to call the Jamarat Shayateen. It's not permissible to call the Jamra 1, Shaitan 1, Shaitan 2, Shaitan 3. As it happened to me once, I was doing, going, doing, and we have this man from this country, I'm not going to say, and he was like, came and talked to us uh, in his language, we, we didn't have no clue what it is, and then, just like that, he started talking to us in English, I don't know why. Maybe because that's the only other language he now allow alam. And he says, what is shaitan number two? Yeah, what is shaitan number two? Meaning, what is the jamra number two? So the sheikh says, no, we don't call the jamarat shayateen. Okay? But we consist ourselves by calling jamarat. Then tawaf al-wada'ah. The last thing you do. If a person did all of these things, he has finished hajj. The last thing upon this person is tawaf al-wada'ah. The farewell tawaf. And this farewell tawaf has to be the last thing a person do before they leave Mecca. And in, so therefore a person cannot do tawaf after Arafat. Then you say tawaf al-wada'ah. No. He has to finish the hajj and the last thing before. Even if a person finished the hajj but they spent one week or 10 days or two weeks in Mecca, they're not going to go make tawaf and spend two weeks in Mecca. No, they have to be the last thing before they left Mecca. And it is from the wajibat of the hajj. And no one is exempt from this except the ha'id and the nufasa. Except a woman that her menses and the woman that she gave birth to a baby. Then these women, if they finish everything else, they finish tawaf al-ifada, sa'i al-hajj, tawaf al-hajj, then they have to leave. They don't have to wait until they are clean for tawaf al-wada'ah. Likewise, the sheikh says, this is for hajj, it's obligatory. <coughs> but for the umrah, it is mustahab. Even if you go make umrah, it is recommended to make tawaf al-wada'ah for the umrah. A lot of people don't know this. But, however, for those who did not make tawaf al-wada' after umrah, it's okay, inshallah ta'ala. Nothing against them, no expiation. The Shaykh mentioned a point here, the third point. If a person delay tawaf al-ifada, they didn't do it on the first, on the Eid, or the first, or the second, or the thirteenth day, they delay it until right before they leave. And they, let's say, they did it tonight, and tomorrow morning they live in, that tawaf al-ifada will count for them as tawaf al-wada'ah as well. Why? Because that's the last thing they did before they left Mecca. The Shaykh said, even if the mutamatti' performed the say after that, it's still okay, it counts for them, alhamdulillah. The fourth point, the Sheikh says, when a person finished from Tawaf al-Wada'a, he has to leave. 
He has to live the same way he lived the masjid. And don't do like the ignorant people in the juhal, when they believe in, because they said this is a far well for the Kaaba and this, and they start uh, walking uh, backward, that's what it is, their face to the Kaaba. They say, no, we're not going to give uh, our back to the Kaaba, that's disrespect to the house of Allah. No, this is not disrespect to the house of Allah, this is not from the Sunnah of the Prophet some people they be walking like the Kaaba is here and they be walking backward and looking at the Kaaba. Why are you doing this? I'm not going to give the Kaaba my back. That's disrespect. The Prophet ﷺ didn't do that. Okay? The Prophet ﷺ, he walked normally and we have in the Prophet ﷺ the best example. Wakhairul Hadi, Hadi Muhammad ﷺ. Likewise, some juhal, ignorant people, what they do? Once they get by the door of the, of the, the gate of the masjid, they stand right there and face the Qibla and start making so many du'a they have invented. Says there is no, nothing from the Sunnah. All this is bid'ah and innovations. Alhamdulillah, we have finished this book. Or most of it because uh, in, towards the end I, I skip a little bit. Alhamdulillah. And, and then there is the ziyarah. There is the ziyarah. We're going to mention the ziyarah. Ziyarat Masjid al-Rasul sallallahu after the Adhan and tomorrow as I promised Alhamdulillah Allahu Akbar Alhamdulillah is, is all fall in the right uh, place tomorrow I'm going to give you a summary of Hajj without all these details because we have like 15 or 16 classes but tomorrow between Maghrib and Isha we're going to give a summary without many details and adilla what to do how to do what to do step by step inshallah ta'ala tafadlin So, inshallah ta'ala, the Shaykh, in conclusion of his book, he mentioned 
something that usually the ulama they mention in their books even though it has nothing to do with the hajj is the visiting the masjid of the prophet in medina this has nothing to do with hajj if somebody make hajj and don't go to medina it's okay but since uh, people they already traveled over there if they have some time it's better for them it's mustahab to visit the masjid of the prophet What is the etiquette of visiting the Masjid of the Prophet And keep in mind that a person should travel to Medina with the intention of visiting the Masjid, not with the intention of visiting the grave. It's not permissible. You don't make intention to travel to visit the grave of any person, even including the grave of the Prophet But what what you do is that you you make intention to go and visit the Masjid of the Prophet so that you can pray there because of the virtue of praying over there, as the Prophet tells us, one salat in the, his masjid, sallallahu is better than a thousand salat anywhere else, except for one masjid. What is it? Masjid al-Haram. That's a hundred thousand. So when a person gets over there, pray, mashallah, now you can visit the grave of the Prophet for men. As for women, the ulama, many ulama, they says women should not even go and visit or give salam to the Prophet Sallallahu and Umar, Abu Bakr and Umar. But for the men, what they do, they uh, get in front of the Prophet's, the, 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 the room where the Prophet Sallallahu is is uh, buried, and they give the salam to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Say, Salamu Alaika Ya Rasulullah. Naam. And then they move over a little bit. And then they say, give salam to Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. And then they move a little bit and they give salam to Umar and they keep moving. No dua. See people, ignorant people, they facing the qabr and making dua. No dua, you gotta face the qibla. Don't face the qabr. And those people who are facing the grave, they are giving their back to the qibla by the way over there. Totally the opposite. And most definitely, what the people do at that time, at that place, they try hard. Now, alhamdulillah, they put a barrier and they have soldiers in there to keep the people away from bid'ah and shirk. People, they want to rob themselves against the, uh, the walls where the Prophet is buried and, this, and, the, and, the, and the gate and, and, and who knows. Some people, they even... Uh, want to talk to the Prophet Oh Messenger of Allah, you hear me? Yes, you hear me, Messenger of Allah. Give me this, shirk. Now they creative, they, they, they see bidah, innovations. People be inventive. Some people, they even, because now they have soldiers and the people that keep them away, now they, they, they have letters for the Messenger of Allah They used to put it through those, uh, because the gate is like, uh, what do you call it? has small holes in it. So they used, when they used to allow them to get close to the gate, they used to, to, to put letters to the Messenger of Allah through those holes. Now since they cannot get there, they put them in a little paper one, plane. Paper planes. Try to get them through that. La ilaha illallah, jahl. La ya This is the sunnah. You visit, you say salam and keep moving. And there is other places that you can visit besides the Masjid of the Prophet and his grave and the grave of Abu Bakr and Umar because they, they are right next to the Prophet 
You can visit Al-Baqi'ah. Al-Baqi'ah is a cemetery that many companions are buried from them. Uthman radiallahu anhu is buried in there. You can visit that too. And also something else that is permissible to visit is Shuhada Uhud, where the martyrs of Uhud, including uh, uh, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib radiallahu anhu, you can visit that, it's permissible. And Quba Masjid. You can go to Quba, you make wudu where you want, and you go and pray in Quba. Other than this, there is no such thing. You're going to be hearing people calling you Mazarat, Mazarat, let's go, Sab'atu Kada, Sab'atu Masajid, seven masjids. I don't know this, what? We're going to take you to this grave. We're going to take you to this mountain, to this valley, to this cave. None of that. Just wasting of time. These are the places that you can visit and permissible to visit. Save your money and your time. Don't be running all over like ignorant people. They be taking them all these bidat things and they, they, they take them away from the sunnah to be right there to pray in the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for allowing us to complete this book. And uh, as uh, all good is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and success is only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may Allah make this effort uh, of uh, translating and bringing to you in these classes uh, sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and may Allah benefit all of us uh, with it and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, granted our beloved Shaykh Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Al-Abbad Al-Badr the greatest uh, reward for, for this work likewise may Allah reward all of our noble scholars who they have written and compiled many books as related to this very important topic and we mentioned to you in the beginning some of those books uh, tomorrow we're going to give you a summary of Hajj those who were not with us uh, all of these weeks Alhamdulillah these 15 or 16 classes in details uh, let's at least be here tomorrow between Maghrib and Isha because we're going to read to you from Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen Rahimahullah Ta'ala how to perform Hajj from A to Z without any details we're not going to get into the details. We're going to what to do. Step one, two, three, four. Hada wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa sallam al-kathira.